Amen. Well, good morning. How are y'all this morning? Good? Everybody had a good Thanksgiving. How many ate turkey? Okay, there's a lot of you out there. I hope that it has worn off. I don't want to see anybody falling into a turkey coma over the next, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. Uh, but thankfully, y'all are here this morning. Um, as Bailey mentioned, my name is Jeremy. I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at the Hills West Fort Worth and just excited to be able to, to preach this morning. But before we get into the message, just a little bit of family business. So over the next two Sundays, we are going to be ordaining new elders here at the Hills. Um, these men are from here at the West Fort Worth campus who have been nominated to serve. And you know, when we look at scripture and we see uh, the kind of man that serves as an elder, we see honorable men who are both honorable in the way that they live when they're here at church, but also honorable in the way that they live when they are away from this place. And so uh, if anyone has any concern about any of these men, we want to be clear about what your next steps are. Your first step is to go directly to that man and have a conversation. If that doesn't alleviate your concern, then your next step is to go to one of our current elders to see if they can help you with that concern. Um, as I said, ordination is happening here at West Fort Worth next Sunday. And so we need you to move quickly if that's you. Uh, we are so thankful for each of these men and their wives. We want to ask you to be praying for them, be praying for the rest of this process, and be thanking God that he continues to raise up elders who care for and shepherd this church. Uh, it's just such a blessing. All right, so as you've heard, Thanksgiving is officially behind and Christmas is here. Uh, and since it is officially Christmas time, I thought we'd spend just a few minutes reading the account of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. And I have a special helper who's going to come read it today, my daughter Hadley Joy. Hadley, come on up. She's going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Go ahead, Had. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were th there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others. 
the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the, just as the angel had told them. All right. Thank you, Had. So the birth of our Lord Jesus. 20 verses that contain such a simple and yet powerful story. A plain yet a beautiful one. 20 verses that have such deep and profound impact on all of humanity. You know, I was recently reading a sermon outline that I found that my dad preached years ago when I was a boy. And there was a question in that outline that stuck out to me that I've been thinking about for several weeks since. The question is, what if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never been born? How would the world be different? How would your life be different? How would my life be different? What if Jesus had never been born? The inspiration for that question in that sermon came from my dad's favorite Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. You know the story uh, where George Bailey, because of a financial crisis, concludes that the world would be better off if he had never been born. An angel comes and shows George what life would be like if, in fact, George Bailey had never been born. One of my favorite parts of the movie is where the angel, his name is Clarence, uh, is, is showing George how much worse off the world would be without him. And he explains that each life has an impact, a far-reaching impact. Each life touches other lives, and those lives touch other lives, and so on and so on. And that's certainly true of Jesus. For those of us who follow Jesus, we're still having an impact for him today. And there's no one in all of history who has impacted more lives than Jesus. But for a minute, let's imagine a world where Jesus wasn't born. The truth is, followers of Jesus have brought more changes for the advancement and benefit of people than any other force or movement in human history. Before Jesus, life was cheap. Lives were expendable all over the world. And while today there are certainly days where that still seems like it's true, uh, it's not nearly to the extent that we see at other times in human history. In ancient cultures, women were seen as inferior they were seen as property of their husbands. But Jesus brought a new way of thinking. 
that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. And the way that the Jesus movement treated women and elevated their standing changed the world forever. But Jesus didn't just bring a new way of viewing women. He also elevated the value of every single person. Babies, children, men, slaves, free, Roman, Jew, Gentile. Jesus saw the intrinsic value in every single person, and he teaches us as his followers to see the same. Hospitals and healthcare exist because of Jesus. Universities, child labor laws, voting rights, civil rights, all are a direct result of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus unleashed on our world. If he was never born, things around us would look very, very different. The world would be drastically different, a much darker and harder place, and yet it's still dark and hard today. But can you imagine how much different it might be if Jesus had never come? The truth is, though, we can look around as his people who know him, and we can see glimpses of the kingdom of Jesus breaking in, even in the hardness and the darkness around us. But now I want you to take a minute. I want you to imagine your own life. What would your life be like without Jesus? What would your family be like? What would things be like for you if Jesus had never been born. For me, it's really challenging to consider because I don't know a time where I wasn't in church. I learned about Jesus from the time I was, I was born and I've known a lot about him my whole life. But I would tell you that I didn't really come to know him until some years later. I surrendered my life to Jesus and was baptized when I was a teenager. And yet it took some time for me to really have a relationship with him and really know him. And looking back on on both the good moments, but also the hard moments of my life, I can't imagine what life would be without Jesus. I remember one defining moment. It actually was 21 years ago today. I was 17 years old, and my dad passed away in his sleep one night. He was 45 years old. And I remember coming home from the hospital that morning after he died. And I walked into my bedroom, and my Bible was laying on my bedside table from where I'd left it after I read the night before. And uh, I remember being so very angry, so angry at God. Why would God allow something like this to happen to me? If he really loves me, as I've been told all of these years, then how can something that makes absolutely no sense happen to me and my family? You see, up to that point, my impression of Jesus was that as long as I was good, as long as I lived the right way and did my part, then life would be good. And so it seemed to me on that day like God hadn't kept up his end of the deal. And I remember picking my Bible up and just throwing it across my room and telling God in a very 
transparent and real moment. Okay, God, if you really are who I've been told you are, if you really are the God that I've been taught about, if you really do love me the way I've been told that you love me, then I'm going to need to see you and experience you in a new way. I'm going to need to know you in a new and fresh way. And if I'm going to keep following you, then our relationship is going to have to change. And I'm going to need to know you differently. And you know what? Those were, for me, still to this day, some of the most excruciating days of my entire life. But the reality is, God did show up. He was faithful. And he did show himself to me. And for the first time in my life, I learned what it truly meant to trust him. And I also learned that he was worthy of my trust. He was gentle and kind and gracious while I stumbled along in my walk with him. And what, what was meant for my destruction, God turned, has turned around a thousand times over for my good and for the good of my family. And so, it's really hard for me to imagine <clears throat> what life would be like without Jesus. But praise the Lord, he was born. He did come, just like we read. And just like time with Clarence the angel changed perspective for George Bailey, wrestling with that question, trying to imagine, for me, has helped refine my perspective. And I hope that today it will help us remind us what we have because of him. Because he was born in that manger, and he still lives today. And because he lives, we can have peace. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Jesus has made possible for us to be in intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are able to be at peace with God and to live with peace because we can trust God fully. In Philippians chapter 4, it says this beginning in verse 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We have peace knowing that God is worthy of our trust, that he wants only good things for us, that he wants what's best, and that only God can see the big picture. We don't have to worry about anything. Because God loves us, 
and he will take care of us. He's our provider. He's our sustainer. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. And because he's worthy of our trust, we can live in peace. But peace isn't the only thing that we get because Jesus lives. Because he lives, we can also have joy. You know, the word joy appears over and over again in Scripture. But to be clear, it's the word joy that we see, not the word happiness. Happiness and joy are two very different things. Happiness is an elusive goal. It's contingent on circumstances. If things are going well, then you may be happy. But when circumstances change, oftentimes happiness goes with them. Joy, however, is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's based on things that are eternal, things that are unchanging. It's a response to the love of God. Joy is something that we experience and share regardless of the circumstances around us. And as followers of Jesus, we can be full of joy in the good days, but we also can be full of joy even in the hard days because we trust that God is good and that he's with us in both good and hard. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. We have joy through Jesus uh, because through Jesus we know we've been adopted forever into the family of God. We've been given salvation for our souls. We have an everlasting inheritance that can never go away. We have joy because our names are registered in heaven. Jesus makes that a reality for each of us who surrender to him. So because he lives, we can have peace that exceeds understanding and joy because we're part of the kingdom of Jesus. And because he lives, we can have hope. Not too long ago, I heard a story about a collision that happened at sea between a submarine and a ship. After the collision, the submarine quickly sank to the bottom of the ocean with all of the crew trapped inside. And ships rushed in from all over to try to help, and, but no one could imagine what that crew was going in, going through. Men and women in that submarine who were clinging to the oxygen that was getting less and less and less. A diver who came to the rescue went down to the submarine and put his ear to the side and he could hear faint tapping. And as he listened, he realized that someone was tapping Morse code. And so he started to decipher the code and realized it was this question. 
Is there any hope? Is there any hope? The truth is, that's a question for all humanity. Is there any hope? We look around. We see darkness. We see mess. We see brokenness. And, it's, and that question is what comes to mind so often. Is there any hope? Without Jesus, the answer is no. But with him, because of him, we can be full of hope. The Jesus way of life is built on hope. And this hope that we have, it's not just a wish or a long shot. We wait for the future that Jesus promises with confident expectation. Romans 8.22 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have been who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Life on earth can be so hard. We experience this tension between the reality of the brokenness of the world around us and this gut feeling that surely there's got to be more to life than this. Surely it's got to be better than this. It gives us a longing for something better, an ache for something more, something different, something beyond the life we experience in this world. Freedom from the damaging effects, the decay of sin on us and the world around us. All creation groans expectantly for the coming redemption. All creation waits with expectation for in this hope we were saved. He's saying that when you said yes to Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus, when we became his followers, we were instantly linked to a bigger story. A bigger and better story that has a much better ending that goes way beyond just life today. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And so we know that Jesus changes everything for us. Because he lives, we live with peace and joy and hope. But let's be real. For some of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time, it's easy at times for us to start to live like Jesus was never born. For us, we know peace, joy, and hope in our heads, and yet it often doesn't translate to our hearts and the way we experience the world and the way we engage the world around us and live our lives. So today, I wanted you to get to hear from someone about their own testimony of God's peace, joy, and hope of their own experience of the transformation that happens through the power of Jesus. So I want to invite Scott Kemper to come out. 
we're going to have a little interview. Come on out, Scott. <laughs> we're going to get a little more comfortable, so I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Scott, how are you? Good. How's everybody? Are good? Okay. I'm, I'm back out. Okay, here we go. So you probably feel like you know Scott a little bit. This is Scott Kemper, although like just a few weeks ago, somebody came up and said, what's your name? You're up there every week and you never say your name. This is Scott Kemper, if you didn't know Scott. Um, but Scott, tell us um, just a little bit of background on you. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in uh, the metropolis that is Abilene, Texas. Anybody <laughs> out there? Abilinians? Come on. Okay. It's really ugly. You didn't miss anything. You're good. It's flat, very dry. <laughs> Grew up in Abilene. Uh, you know, I was the youngest of <clears throat> three siblings. Um, and we grew up in a home that was very pretty conservative, you know, and we were at the church every time the doors were open. We were there, you know, and that's, that's what I knew growing up. And that was my life, you know. And uh, as early as, like, fourth or fifth grade, um, you know, I remember being beginning to become someone uh, at school that I wasn't, a version of me that I wasn't at church, you know, and um, and that carried on, you know, for me, and I don't, I don't know why, but I just had a lot of difficulties early on, you know, I felt, felt kind of isolated, like I didn't really always knew how I fit in, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, it was a rough start for me, uh, you know, and, and, um, in, in seventh grade, I was uh, arrested in seventh grade, and then I got caught with marijuana in eighth grade, and then we were still in my parents' car at night in ninth grade, and, and all kinds of stuff in between, but I was just running, searching for anything, you know, to feel avoided me, you know, and I didn't understand, and, um, and then one night when I was 16, it was February 29th in 1996, I was a sophomore in college. And uh, yes, I'm really old. Sophomore in high school. I'm really old or young, depending on, on how old you are. Some people are like, you jerk, you're young. And other people are like, you're old. Sophomore in high, <laughs> sophomore in high school, though. Did right? I say college? Yes, you did. It was definitely high school. <laughs> I, I've heard his story a couple times. So. Yeah, thank you. I just misspoke there. So, but I walked into church and I just really, you know, I honestly, my parents were like, you will be there. And so I was there and... Uh, and I didn't want to be there, and I just kind of felt like, well, God's this thing, and I'm, I'm going my way. I'm not, I'm not doing this, you know. And, man, he just took uh, a heart that was prideful and bent against him, and he just, uh, through a moment, just began breaking that down in a way that only God can do. And I just, through uh, the message that night, I sat there, uh, hands began to tremble, and I knew uh, at that moment that I didn't know God. I, I grew up hearing about God, mm. and, uh, but I didn't know God as my, as my personal Savior. And that night, um, began my journey of faith and, and surrendered and, and uh, you know, um, confessed and surrendered and accepted the Lord into my heart, and through baptism ended up uh, exercising that. And that was the beginning of, of this journey for me. Shortly after, I began playing guitar, and, uh, and the Lord just uh, really changed my life. You know, for some people it takes time for me. It was like a light switch and, and everything changed in my heart. So. Yeah. So, um, Scott, your, your first day here on the job as our, as our worship minister was January 1 of 2020. Yeah. Great time to start a new job. Super right? awesome. Um, but, uh, he and, and Gabby and the kids moved here from, from San Diego and, and began work with us. And I remember when, uh, when Taylor Walling and I had the very first interview with Scott, it was over zoom. 
Um, but we both walked away from that conversation with this just overwhelming sense of his sincerity and his transparency um, and just that the, the, the peace, joy, and hope we have because of Jesus just flowed out of him in that conversation. Uh, and then we, we got to bring, bring you in for your interview weekend and you got to lead worship uh, in a setting for us. And, and I remember Taylor and I both talking about after that worship set that we saw that come out in the way he led us, that he leads from that place of what the Lord has done in your life. And so I know, uh, because I know your story, that, that that moment that you just described was significant and the Lord got your heart and you submitted to him and he began to change you. But I also know that there's more to the story and there's a process that, that you went through. So can you tell us how, who, what is it that makes Scott Kemper who he is today and the way that you lead us so well into the presence of God and what did the Lord do yeah. to bring that around? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, you know, yeah, so after that moment uh, in my life really, really did uh, begin to change, uh, you know, having grown up in a pretty uh, legalistic background, I, after so many years of, of following after the Lord, I began to believe this lie that I'm sure many of you maybe have, have fallen into, but a feeling like... Um, that however good I was performing for the Lord, how, you know, if I was doing all the right things and he loved me more and was close to me. And then when I was struggling, he was far away, you know, and he was disappointed. And I lost sight of the fact that uh, his righteousness and his love is not based on me at all. It's based on Jesus, you know, it's based on what Jesus did and I can't earn it. I can't perform it. And whether I'm struggling in sin or whether I'm walking closely with him, in all my ways, I'm equally as loved the same. And so I had a really hard time with that. And, and what happened was I began to struggle with alcohol. I began to struggle with isolation. I began to struggle with other things. And I, instead of feeling like I could confess this, I felt like, well, I'm far from God now. And so I guess I'm just going to stay here until I can figure out how to get these things out of my life. And then I could be close to God again. And really, um, what happened was there was just kind of two versions of myself. Um, there was a version of me that that loved the Lord and, and loved worship and sincerely did love that, but then there was a version of me that was toxic and, um, and that really struggled with alcohol and, and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, you know, at a certain point after so many years, I would, you know, I would have eight or nine months of, of um, of really living for the Lord. And then I'd start to struggle and I, instead of getting help, I would just hide mm. and I'd have eight or nine months of just really struggling and then repent. And, and it just kept going back and forth and I just didn't understand it, you know? And at a certain point I just felt like I was, um, I guess, uh, you, I could say, I felt like I was like broken or like maybe I was like defective. You know, you think of like an item that's like, well, this should work, but it's not working properly. So it's mm. over here, you know? And, uh, and, man, I just want you guys to hear this. If you're in that place uh, right now, I want you to know that you're not broken mm -hmm. and, you're not, and you're not defective. And that's very important because I, I believe that lie for some time. Um, and whenever you believe that, you're just going to live that out. And that's not the truth. The truth is you're a child of God. That's right. And you're struggling. <laughs> and you're loved by him and his grace is enough. Right. And, uh, and in that moment, I failed to realize some of those things. And, and so I began to struggle very uh, bad every day with alcohol and it was became a morning to night thing and my wife suffered through a lot of very difficult times and um, 
and graciously led me through it. Um, but I was a worship pastor at a church, you know, and I didn't, and I, and I should have sought help and I didn't know how I was scared and I didn't know how to seek help. And, um, and even in that moment, you know, um, there's hope, you know, and there's hope, uh, and, and no matter where you are, there's always hope. The Lord wants to do the, he wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, uh, I ended up stepping out of ministry for a few years. We moved to Granbury. Uh, I began attending Celebrate Recovery, and it wasn't a perfect journey. Uh, it wasn't first-time success. Um, but the transparency, and for the first time, I was not two people anymore. You know, I was one person that was open and honest about who I was, and I understood that I was loved by God regardless of if I was struggling or if I was um, mm -hmm. had it all figured out, you know. And so I still struggle to this day. The Lord still has a lot of work to do in me, but thankfully um, on October uh, 12th of 2015, I, God took a broken man who said, Lord, please help me. Mm -hmm. And I haven't uh, had a drink since then. So, Amen. Amen. Praise yeah. the Lord. And, and Scott, you know, one of the things um, that I, I appreciate is more than just being your coworkers, being your friend and your brother in Christ. Um, and I've, I've heard you tell that story so many times about there being two versions of you. Um, and that seems like so far away from reality of the Scott that I know, that God has done amazing work. And he's brought you to a place where the Scott that, that y'all see up here is the Scott that I know in the office, is the Scott that when we go to lunch is the Scott that you'll see out at the store, whatever. He is the same person no matter where the Lord has him. And that's the work of the Lord in your life. Um, I'm just so grateful for your transparency. And I'm grateful for the way that that, that journey um, didn't stop you from feeling like you could be used by God and that you've had the courage to step out and you have the courage every week to lead us from a place of knowing what Jesus has done in your life and you lead us into his presence every time you lead. And so I'm just grateful for you, man. Uh, let me pray for you. Thank you, man. God, I just am, am um, just so very grateful for this, this man, for my brother, for my friend. Uh, I'm grateful, God, for the work you've done in his heart, for the, the transformation you've brought about, for um, the man that he is, for the, the worship leader that he is, for the dad that he is, for the husband that he is. God, not perfect. Um, but, but he's somebody who's, who's being used by you. He's being refined by you, and he is comfortably walking in the shoes as the man you've created him to be instead of trying to be something that he wasn't and reaching for other things to fill him up in a way that only you can fill, God. And so I'm, I'm grateful for his transparency. I'm grateful for his willingness to be honest. I'm grateful for the ways that he blesses me personally and that he blesses this church family through his leadership through his transparency, through the way that, that hope and joy and peace just flow out of him in every moment, God. Um, we're grateful for the work that you've done in him, uh, grateful that he calls this church family his church family, grateful for Gabby and the kids. Would you bless them all in the name of Jesus? Amen. Thank you, Scott. Can we thank him? So I, I wanted you to hear that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because it's a tangible example of, of life without Jesus and then what Jesus does in us. But two, because I think sometimes it's easy for us to come in this place and look around 
and act like we've all just kind of put our church masks on and act like we've all got it together and that uh, somehow we're just walking along and everything's great and it's always been great. And the reality is we all need Jesus. We're in desperate need of a savior. And so while imagining life without him is a good exercise, I'm so grateful that it's not reality. He was born and he was born to show us a better way and to go to a cross, to change everything for us. And so here's what I know in a room this size that, that there are people here today that life is really hard for you right now. Things are a mess. You may not even know why you're here this morning. Maybe you're here because you're with somebody from Thanksgiving and they drug you to church this morning. Why ever, for whatever reason you're here, I believe the Holy Spirit of God brought you here today. And if life feels like a mess, if you feel like you keep going into the same places to try to find hope and answers and you keep finding nothing and you keep finding emptiness or you don't know what the answer is or what the next step is, life just feels kind of empty, I can tell you from personal experience, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only answer. And so I wanna invite you today to come and explore what that might mean for you. And so the, the band's gonna lead us in another song here in a minute. I wanna pray. And then after I pray, I wanna just make space for us to respond. Whether you're somebody who, who wants to explore what that would mean for you to give your life to Jesus, or um, you're here this morning and you just wanna come and thank God for what he's done in your life. That is a great way to respond today. But let me pray for us. Father, you are so good and you are so faithful. And God, you, um, you've gone before us in every way. You're so patient with us. You're so good to us. You're so kind to us. And Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you transform us and you mold us more into the people you want us to be. And so God, we ask you to continue your work in us today. Those of us who've said yes to you, would you remind us of why we said yes? Would you just continue to change us and grow us? Those of us who haven't said yes yet, would you speak clearly to our hearts today? We love you, and it's through Jesus I pray. Amen. Well, friends, at, at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, Clarence the angel says, You see, George, you really have lived a wonderful life. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, we can say, you see, it might be hard. It might be, there might be days where you don't know how to take another step, but life with Jesus really is a wonderful life. So our prayer team is in place. I want to invite you to respond as we worship together.